Hello and welcome to the River and Panhandle's weekly podcast. We are so excited that you are tuning in for this week's message. Before we get started, there are a few things that we would love for you to do. Share it, subscribe, and rate the podcast. So the message is about to begin. We hope that you are encouraged and that you always remember, no role is insignificant. Every life matters and go out and make a difference. Texas. You know where that is? Go Frogs. TCU, right? Who's for TCU? All right. Um, I moved to Arlington, Texas in 1977. My parents bought a house out there, started school, grew up there. My mom still lives in that house, which is kind of unique. And in 1990, I moved to Wichita Falls, Texas, where I finished, eventually, my college degree. I tell people all the time, college was the best seven years of my life. (laughs) A lot of fun. And uh, in 1998, I moved to San Antonio. And fun place to visit. Don't ever want to live there again. Um, In 2010-ish, I moved back to Fort Worth. And in 2012, moved to Nashville. And there's no test on this, by the way, right? I don't expect you to remember any of this. And this week, we are moving to Panhandle, Texas. And I am absolutely convinced by the promises of God and the declaration of your faces and your kindness to us, this is going to be the best move yet. We're so fired up. And nobody is more excited about this, and they don't even know it yet. Nobody's more excited about this than our dogs, which are mountain dogs right? And we are expecting snow. I keep waiting for that. It's 69 degrees today. What are you doing? And we are really excited about moving here. And I'll tell you why. God brought me here. God is bringing us here with a purpose. And that is to proclaim the name of Jesus Christ from his word in truth and power to meet people to fall in love with people, to share Jesus Christ with them, and for you to do the same thing with us. I know that you love God. I can see it all over your faces. We are on the verge of something as a church where God is about to explode a magnificent work of grace where people come and they hear the word of truth spoken But not just here, in you, where you work and live, children telling their friends about Jesus, teenagers standing up for truth, for what is right, and declaring that God is good and that they want to live for him. You, where you work, where you live, on the soccer fields, the football field, at your kids' games and concerts where you tell people about Jesus because you cannot contain it. Your heart won't let you. That is the only way God's power will be unleashed here is if we get out of the way and let God go to work. You with me? I'm super excited about this. I have a lot of really incredible gifts and talents. (laughs) whatever I have in me is what the Holy Spirit has given me to do his work you have it as well we're going to talk about that a little bit this morning we're going to talk about why we're talking about that this morning in February we are going to launch out of the river we're going to launch 
a disciple-making movement. And here's what I mean by that. We talk about discipleship. I believe many of you are discipling others. And we undervalue the word discipleship. For so many of us, it was a routine or a program. Maybe you've walked through some steps before where you learned what it means to be a follower of Jesus. We're not going to have a discipleship ministry. Follow me. We are going to start a disciple-making movement. And it's going to start with a small handful of us. And we walk through this journey together. And then at the end of that journey together, others are going to be brought into that conversation. And then you are going to be a part of that. And then others are going to be a part of that with you because of your care, your hope, your desire to see God alive in the world around you. It's going to be exponential. We're not just going to be able to put on our website that discipleship is part of our purpose. People are going to know there is a disciple-making movement that flows out of this place because we want to follow God as best we can, no matter how broken and messed up we are, and others are going to come with us because they're going to see Jesus alive. (laughs) You ready? I don't think you are. It's going to be amazing, and I can't wait for it. This is deep at the heart of what God has called me to be. I've interviewed in the past, you know, with a number of churches, been on staff at eight churches um, in 26 years of ministry. And uh, I've been asked the question so many times, do you feel called to this place? And the elders and I sort of had this conversation and, and I shared with them, I don't feel called to be the pastor of the river. I feel called to Isaiah 50, verse 4, that says, The Lord has given me an anointed tongue to know the word that sustains the weary. He wakens me morning by morning, wakens my ear to listen as one being taught. That's the call God has placed on my life. You as a church called me to be your pastor. And I am grateful, and I'm excited, and I approach that with great responsibility and privilege. And the call is on your life as well. This is not about me. It's not about me and Ashley. It's not even about the river. This is about us as the bride of Christ doing everything we can to prepare ourselves for the wedding ceremony with our groom, Jesus. So when he comes again, we have done everything we can to be the best bride of Christ we can be, and he's going to be happy about it. You're a part of that. You are that. Are you ready? Let's go. Let's do this. I'm so excited. We're going to be in John 17 this morning. John 17, Jesus' high priestly prayer. And he has this moment with his heavenly father when he just gets before him and he says, here's why I've come. Here's what I'm doing. Here's what I know what to do. You do the rest and God, help them to understand the mission. Help them to fulfill what you have called them to be. Help them know and experience to breathe in the joy of what it means to follow you. This is an amazing prayer. So we're going to be in that this morning. Will you pray with me as we dive into God's word? God, in the name of Jesus, I pray that you would saturate this room with your beauty and your power. God, that you would expose the truth of your word in us this morning to be able to walk out of this place with no misunderstanding that we do not come to this place just to receive something from you. We come to this place to experience your fullness 
and to leave here changed by what we've experienced and to go live that power and beauty in the world around us. Help us, God. Speak to us, God. Change us, God. Do your best work here this morning. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. John 17. I want to read a couple of verses, and then let's unpack what it means to follow Jesus with our lives. Verse 13 and 14. But now, Jesus speaking to his Father, but now I am coming to you. And these things I speak in the world that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. That's you and me. I have given them your word and the world has hated them because they are not of the world. Just as I am not of the world. There's three significant steps to following Jesus, to being a disciple, to being a disciple maker, to being a disciple maker, maker, right? Three significant steps. The first one is we have to know what it means and we have to learn how to walk with God. Not just go to church. That's a massive misunderstanding, a huge miscalculation in people's lives. Some of us in this room even think, man, I'm here, I'm doing my part, I'm teaching my children how to pray or to live right, and it's just not the end of the story. Coming to church is an expression of our love for God. We don't build buildings and and prepare worship songs or prepare sermons so that people will come and then we've accomplished the purpose. This is a tool that God has given you and me where we can gather together and lift our voice to raise a hallelujah together. And that God's heart is satisfied by that for the purpose of you and me being changed by our encounter with God. So we come into the presence of God together and we do all these things and it is good. But what God wants for you is not just the experience of Sunday morning or Wednesday night. What God wants for you is to have an intimate relationship where you experience all the confidence and joy and the power and the glory of Jesus Christ raised from the dead and then you live in that freedom every day of your life. Walking with God involves just some simple disciplines like prayer, like reading and hiding God's word in your heart, like praying for others, like meeting needs, serving people when you see a need. Or you don't just tell them the phone number of the church and say, I think my church could help you out. You stand up and you say, I'll do whatever I can do for you. I'm going to stand in the gap for you. I'm going to fight for you. And we're going to see God's glory heal you and maybe meet some tangible needs. Walking with God is about you and me deciding every morning, I'm going to get up and I'm going to dedicate this day to the glory of God. That's what it means to walk with God. It's not just being a part of something. It's not just belonging. It's about becoming a child of God. It's about being a son and a daughter of God. Revelation 3.20, Jesus says, Behold, I stand at the door of your heart and knock. If anyone will invite me in, I will come in and not only be there, but I will dine with you. I will have fellowship with you. I will walk daily, be present, care for you, fight for you, 
Jesus' promise is not just when you're six years old, you say a prayer and he comes in and saves you and that's it. Jesus says, for your whole life, I want to walk with you and show you what it means to be a son and a daughter of God and heir with me to the throne of heaven. He wants you to walk with him. Do you know in Hebrews 11, it says, without faith, it is impossible to please God. But let us draw near to him. That's where the power resides. And you cannot have faith, you cannot walk in faith without experiencing the power of God, the grace of God in your life. And when you've experienced the grace of God, your faith then should be, must be, will be exploded out of your life. Just like Jesus said, out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. Now, you guys know I'm a big Cowboys fan, right? And early exit from the playoffs, more likely, but I stick with them, right? I, I, I think I shared with you, maybe I didn't, that I met Roger Staubach. Did I tell you guys that story? I met Roger Staubach. If you don't know who Roger Staubach is, shame on you. Captain America, the quarterback of the Cowboys in the 70s, two Super Bowls. I met him, right? Roger Staubach does not know me. I don't know him. I talk a lot about the Cowboys, and I get mad at the TV every Sunday. But God has invited me into a relationship where I can know him intimately. Not the quarterback of my favorite football team, the creator of the universe, almighty God, Healer, protector, defender, author, sustainer of everything that is and ever will be. He knows me. (laughs) He knows you. And he wants to live with you and in you. And he wants you to live in him and for him. That's what it means to walk with God. So being a disciple, being a disciple maker has very little to do with you going to church on Sundays. And it has everything to do with you letting him in. Breathing his air. Walking with God is about a daily, powerful relationship where he is the vine And you are the branches. Does anybody else's watch, Apple watch, just go off randomly? Like when you say, this is so dumb. (laughs) He is the vine. You are the branch. Apart from him, we cannot bear fruit. Going to church is not fruit. It's a discipline. It's an act of joy. It's a privilege. Bearing fruit only happens when you as the branch are connected to the vine. He does the growing. He does the changing. He does the sustaining. He does the healing. He does the work, the hard work. He does the impossible. He's invited you and me to do the possible, and that's simply to have a relationship with him. Come on. This is the invitation from God, to walk with him. This is what it means to be a disciple, and this is what it means to be a disciple maker. Walk with God. The second step of making disciples, of being a disciple, a follower of Jesus is that he has called you, you, to reach your world. Look at verses 15 through 17, John 17. I do not ask you to take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, 
just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. Here's what we do. We constantly ask God to take stuff away from us as if that's what will make us better. You know what that makes you and me? It makes us prisoners of our circumstance. It does not allow God to be the conqueror, the defeater, the crusher of the enemy. It does not allow him to be a victor over death. God, take me out of this problem. I might be delivered from my momentary affliction, but I've not yet allowed myself to see God as the conquering king. Jesus doesn't want to take you out of your world. He put you in this world to be a voice of hope, to walk with him. What he asked is, God, protect them from the evil one. Why? Because we know from 1 Peter that the enemy prowls this world like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. And when we are locked eyes with our problems and not locked eyes with our Savior, we become easy prey. You with me? But when we are locked in with the Savior, when we are locked in with God, he then becomes a shield around us where the enemy cannot harm us. He can attack us. He can assault us. He can shame us. He can make us feel guilty and barren and lonely and depressed and angry and vengeful. But he cannot take your life. He cannot take what God has given. We just sing about it. If anyone is in Christ, he, she is a new creation. 2 Corinthians 5.17. The old is gone and the new has come and the enemy can't touch you. But Jesus wants you here so that you can reach your world. How? by walking with God and allowing the radiant heat of the Holy Spirit to flow off of your life when people look at you and go, I know you're not perfect, but whatever you've got, I want that. This is the way God rigged the system. Allowing us to be a voice of hope and people cannot deny the truth that lives in you and me. When I lived in Arlington, um, my best friend, who lived about five houses down from me, Devin Colella was his name. And we called him Bear, B-E-A-R, I guess. His mom told me a story that the reason he got that nickname is because when he was little, he ran around naked. Bear. We called him Bear, B-E-A-R. And Bear and I did all the things that best friends do. We built forts in the woods behind our house. We dissected frogs on Friday night under the streetlight. We threw things at people's houses and cars. We got in so much trouble together, we double dated at the roller skating rink. That was a thing you did in the 80s, right? Bear and I even staged a fist fight one time in the front yard where one of the girls on the street, Teresa, who was my big fan, she was in this corner, and Christy, his ring girl, was in that corner, and we would fight and then go to the corners and get water or wipe down. It was the dumbest thing you've ever seen, and I won. But we had... We had friendship, we had fun, but we also had conflict. And one of the things that we talked about from time to time was God, the existence of God. And Bear was not a Christian. Bear was not a child of God. And he was convinced that you would go to heaven if you believed in God. 
Well, my parents raised me in a Christian home, and I'm so thankful for that, where I gave my life to Jesus as a nine-year-old, and I knew some scripture verses, and I knew that I was a sinner and that Jesus saved me from my sin, but I never quite had the courage to tell Bear, here's what you must be do to be, to be saved. And we would have those conversations from time to time <clears throat> until my sophomore year in high school when Bear moved away. Bear and his family moved to Orlando, Florida, and I remember getting so convicted um, about that. And at summer youth camp uh, one year where God really convicted my heart about sharing Jesus with my friends at school. I prayed for Bear. God, if you would ever bring Bear back into my life, I promise I will tell you about him. I promise I will share with him how to be saved. So I pull up in the driveway my senior year of high school, coming home from school one afternoon, and there's Bear leaning on a car right outside my house. Immediately, I heard the voice of God saying, you asked, I delivered, follow through. And I made some promises to God. God, when the time is right, I'll do that. I'll do that. I promise God. I mean, help, you know, help me see like when it's right. Baird dropped out of high school by that point, and he was working at a car dealership there in Arlington and was at a Christmas party where they were drinking, and he was drunk. And as he was leaving this Christmas party, um, they were playing on a forklift in the warehouse, and Bear was run over and killed and crushed by this forklift. And so we all get the call from his mom telling us that Bear had been tragically killed, taking, taken way too soon. And my heart was devastated with fear and guilt about my friend that I never shared how to know Jesus. I went to the funeral with all of his friends, all of the kids on the block. And I'll never forget walking down the front row as you greet the family and his mom, tearful, I'm tearful, we hug. And she just says, you'll see him again. And as an 18-year-old, I remember having the thought, I'll never see Bear again. I'll be in heaven. And I don't believe Bear will be. And so for a period of my life, I lived with some guilt about that. Legitimate guilt. But I made a promise to God at that point in my life. God, I want to live my life, dedicate the rest of my life to making sure that others know that Jesus is the only way to heaven. You have relationships in your life with people just like Bear. You can be good friends. You can be great coworkers. You can be colleagues. You can have things in common. You can go places and do things and really enjoy each other's company. But will you allow them to never know the full joy, the sustaining freedom the eternal salvation of Jesus Christ by just being a good person in their life? That can't be enough for us. Reaching our world has to be about declaring God's truth of Jesus Christ dying on the cross, raising from the dead for our sin, and there's no other way. There's no other way to heaven except through Jesus Christ. This is what he's called you and me to do and to be, to walk with him and to reach our world. 
not because God hates the world, but because he loves the world. And because Jesus is not of this world. And because you, as a child of God, are now no longer of this world. He's empowered you and me with a voice of hope to declare truth in people's lives so that they also cannot be tethered to this planet, but to walk in freedom with Christ, not just today, but forever. This is what he wants for you and me. If you are a Christian, if you, if you believe that Jesus has saved your soul, he has called you to this, not just me as a pastor or us as pastors or elders, and not just as good Christians, which is a complete paradox because none of us are, but he is good and he is faithful and he's the redeemer and he's the sustainer and the life changer, the life giver. And he wants you and me to make sure that everybody else hears that truth. That's why he won't take you out of the world. You with me? This is why he wants us here. Sanctify them in the truth. You know what that means to be sanctified? It means to be set apart. You've heard the truth. Your only option besides disobedience, is living that truth out for others to see. He does the impossible. He'll change their hearts. You and I have to live in that and declare that so that others might know. That's what it means to reach your world. We're going to get more into these in the next three weeks. The third step we find John 17, verses 18 and 19. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself that they also may be sanctified in truth. Think of the power of these words. We not only get to walk with God, we're not only called to reach our world, just as Jesus was sent to invest, invite, and include others in the work of God, he is preparing you and me to invest in others. He's using you and me, our salvation story, to invest in others. You don't have to know everything about God's word to be a voice of hope. You just get to live in the light of that truth and to be an image bearer of God and to bring others behind you, help them walk with God and reach their world and invest in others. And this movement will be exponential. The world would be changed if Christians did what God has asked them to do. What has he asked you and me to do? Acts 1.8. As Jesus was preparing to go back to heaven, back home, the disciples said, will you tell us when is now the time? And Jesus said, don't worry about that. God has all the authority. My father will make that happen when it happens. He said, but you will be my witnesses in Judea, in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the world. Everywhere you go, you are going to tell people about Jesus. And not only that, Matthew 28, go and make disciples. Invite others to be a part of this baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teaching them. Instructing them. Helping them. 
walking with them through the fires of life, teaching them to obey all that I've commanded. That seems like an ominous task, doesn't it? It seems overwhelming. I don't know all that he's commanded. How can I teach others all that he's commanded? By walking with God and letting his truth flow through you and then caring enough about the people around you that you want them to know Jesus and then taking the time, taking the time to help others learn what it means to walk with God, reach their world, and invest in a few. It ain't complicated. It's very simple. But that doesn't make it easy. Walking with God is hard work at times. Why? Because we spend so much time focused on our circumstances and not on the God of grace. Reaching our world is not easy. It's it's hard at times. Why? Because we become territorial about what is ours. Not wanting others to see our faults. And if I start talking about Jesus, they're going to see the things in my life which are messed up and I'm going to be a barrier to someone. But Jesus died so that that barrier would be broken down. We just sang. There's no wall that he won't kick down. No lie he won't tear down. He's coming after me. (laughs) Do we understand the power of the songs that we sing when when we sing these hymns of praise to God. We're declaring that Jesus has done something for ourselves that we can't do for us, that only he could do for us. We're declaring that Jesus is the conqueror of death, not me. I'm not good enough. I never will be. I don't get to live in the North Pole. I live on the island of misfit toys because I'm a Charlie in a box or whatever, right? We are messed up people. And that's exactly who God wants to save. And the people that you live with are way jacked up in the way they think. And that's exactly who he wants to reach. The people that you do life with have wild misunderstandings about who God is. And that's exactly who he wants to use you to expose his truth to their souls so that they also might enjoy the fruit on the branch that comes from the vine through you, from him, to others. It is good. It is good. This is what we have to be about. This is all we have in this world. 1 Peter 4.10 says, each one of you has been given a gift to faithfully serve others, administering God's grace in its its various forms. You're going to reach people that I could never reach. I have cowboy boots, but I am not a rancher. Some of you work and breathe and live in the fields with people that will never listen to a word I say, but they'll listen to you because Jesus is in you. Some of you work in plants and refineries, and you know things about things that I will never understand. And if I walked into that refinery on Monday morning and started declaring the truth in eloquence and beauty and power, they would, they would turn their ear. They would not care about what I have to share with them because they have no idea how much I care about them. But they know that you care because Jesus lives in you and you're promising to stand by them, to fight for them and with them, to do life with them. And God's given you 
a voice of hope. God has gifted you, not just with skills and talents and gifts. God has gifted you with an opportunity. George Whitfield is a famous evangelist, pastor, and he said, our extremity is God's opportunity. And what that means is when our world seems dark and distant and lonely and cold and scary and full of hate, that's when we seek the face of God, get on our knees before the throne of grace and say, God, help me and let God use you to point others to Jesus. Invest in a few. Some of you aren't really prepared for this. You're going to find yourself in six to nine months or a year or two, you're going to find yourself sitting at a breakfast table or sitting uh, in a break room at work where you're telling others what it means to walk with God, to reach your world and invest in a few. You're going to be showing them God's love by pouring his truth into them. You're not even going to, re- you're going to wake up and go, what am I doing here? And Jesus is looking into your life. He's looking into your your soul, your heart, and saying, you are doing my work in the world. Well done, good and faithful servant. It's all of us. We're all called to this. I just want to brag on one of our own tack hammer, high school senior, who reached out to me the, just last week and said, hey man, I feel like God's telling me to lead a little night of worship. Could we use a room in the church? Heck yeah, you can use a room. What do you need? We'll make it happen. And he followed God's voice and he was obedient. And in the fellowship hall right down here, without a sound system even, People came and worshiped the name of Jesus in that room. Teenagers, children, adults alike. And it was beautiful. And I don't know if you heard about it. We're going to get better and better about communicating things as we go. But I'm inviting you to be a part of every moment that we have like that. Every opportunity like that. Because people's extremity is our opportunity. And we want our cups filled so that when the time is right, we can tip that cup and pour out the grace and the goodness of Jesus in other people's lives. This is how God rigged the system. But I can't let you leave here this morning without asking you a couple of questions. I'm not a big New Year's resolutions guy. I don't know if you are. But here we are, At the first of the year, Les challenged us last week to not only pick up our sword of the Spirit, but to learn how to yield it, how to use it. Here we are at the first of the year. I can't let you leave without this question this morning. What will you do with Jesus this year? You and I are at a crossroads where we either do something about it or we just watch the parade go by. What will you do with Jesus this year? Your world desperately needs him. Your world is broken and lost without him. The people you care about and do life with the people that you work with need him. What will you do with that? Not just what will you do with what I've shared today, not just what will you do with the information. What will you do with Jesus? Because our world is dying. 
the days are numbered for this world. I believe with my heart that it's near an end. No way of declaring when that will be. But the days for the bride of Christ, for the church, for you and me as followers of Jesus, as children of God, our days are infinite in the kingdom of God. This is kingdom business. It is not your business. Your life is not yours to protect. You're not a dog who can pee on the tree of your life and claim it as your own. You are a son and daughter of God who he has called to stake claim in his name in the world that he's allowed you to live for his glory, for his eternity. Your decision is either choose obedience or just choose disobedience. And your friends like Bear will die without ever knowing Jesus Christ as their Savior. No excuses for you and me. All right? So I'm not just here to convict you of that. I'm here to pray with and for you, to stand in the gap with and for you as your pastor, to be here and be available. If you ever have questions and needs and you want to know, how do I share Jesus with this friend who has this weird convoluted idea of who God is? Let's talk and pray about that. And so I'm asking you to follow Jesus with all your heart and soul and your mind. I'm also asking God for the grace to work in my life in a way where I can be trustworthy to you. And when you have a need, we come together and we figure things out. But it's God who does the heavy lifting. It's him who does the hard work. You and I, we only do the possible things. So as we prepare to launch a disciple-making movement in February, I'm asking you to follow me on that journey. More importantly, follow Jesus with your life. But trust me just a little bit, even though you don't know me yet well, that when God gives us a plan, that we walk that path together. What will you do with Jesus this year? What will you do with the people God's entrusted to you this year? What will you do with your children, your home, your family this year? It's good that you pray at the dinner table. And it's good that you pray over your family. And it's good that you let your children pray before going to sleep at night. I'm asking you to declare for your home that you will walk with God in a way that your family sees it happening, that you will reach your world and your children for Jesus Christ, and that you will invest God's truth into them so that they are no longer part of this world. They're just in it. And they never fear when things heat up and stuff hits the fan because they know that their God is greater. Can we go there together? God, do a work. Jesus, be pleased by what you see here. God, use us in a way that we never expected. Father, heal hearts, set people free. Do a life-changing work in people's lives. 
God, prepare the hearts of the hearers, even in this room today, that you would do something mighty through them when they never expected it and that people around them see Jesus alive in them and then you set them free to invest in more and more and more and more. Bring revival, God. Renew us, God. Set us free. We need you. In the name of Jesus, I pray these things. There's going to be people in the corner of the room that care about you, love you. Maybe you have something you want to bring to them and say, this is what I've been struggling with. And I just want to leave it here today. Do it. This is the moment. Maybe you have a hurt. You've experienced loss. You say, I've tried everything else. And I'm tired of medicating. And I need Jesus to set me free. Come set it here at the foot of the cross. Let us pray for you, speak over you. Maybe there's a need, a desire you have in your life. You said, I've searched everywhere else. I don't know where to turn. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. He's the only way, the truth, and the life. And he said, in this world, you will find trouble, but take heart, I've overcome the world. Bring that to him today and let one of our intercessors walk you through what it means to follow Jesus. I'll be right down there. I'd love to do that, to share with you what it means to walk with God. What will you do with Jesus this year? And that's this week's message. We hope that you are encouraged and inspired. If you would like to join our online campus and experience the service as it happens live, go follow us on Facebook or YouTube by searching The River in Panhandle, Texas. Have an amazing and blessed week.